Well, for the energy, the, the biggest biggest way to cut back on energy is is uh is the cooling of the houses here. That's that's probably the one of the biggest biggest draws on most people that live in a hot climate is they have an air conditioning bill and people live in a cold climate have the heating bill and people live in places that get hot and cold have both of them and yeah we're fortunate enough to hear that to never need the uh the energy used for heating a house and for cooling a house there's plenty of natural things that we can use to to cool off the house i don't know if you want me to go through those like yeah we like to build the houses into the ground where it's already naturally cool living roofs that insulate the house they shade it on the east and the west of the house we plant heavy uh heavy foliage and trees that shade the house from the sun going up and down. So the, the difference of just having something in the shade in the tropics and something in the sun is uh, 15 to 20 degrees. It's just that shade is enough. Then you add in the evaporative cooling from the plants on our roofs and the ivy we grow in front of the house. That there are another filtration system. So when your shower and sink water goes to the ivy, if you have a, a earthship, the earthships have ivy on them, and that ivy will take the, uh, the water from a, uh, a liquid to a gas It'll change it, and that chemical reaction causes a drop in the temperature. Anytime you go from a, you know, a high-pressure system to a low-pressure, the temperature drops as a chemical reaction. That, that's, it's free air conditioning, and it helps create our microclimate of being cooled. You're listening to the Sharing Insights Podcast, a show where we explore stories, strategies, and insights from ecologically and socially beneficial projects throughout Costa Rica. These stories provide landowners everywhere access to unique ideas to inspire better business models for greater success and impact. My name is Jason, and I'm a co-founder of one of these unique places. I've been visiting with other owners of impact centers to discuss the successes, challenges, and insights that they've earned along the way. Join me on the adventure. A more sustainable world awaits. Before we get into the second part of my interview with Justin, I want to give a quick but very heartfelt shout out to a listener and fellow permaculture student named Ashley. Ashley had the kindness to buy me a coffee this week in support of the show. Ashley, thank you so much for dropping those coins in the bucket. I can't tell you how amazing it felt to get that notification at that moment, really. For anyone else who'd like to join the Buy Jason a Coffee Club, there is a link on most pages of the website, as well as in the show notes. It's been a heavy push to get the show on the air, so don't hesitate to buy me a few. We'll go to a good use, I promise. That being said, I'm very excited to bring you another inspiring round of insights into how one man has chosen to make his impact on the world. Let's get into it. Welcome back to Sharing Insights Podcast. I am here again with Justin Dolan of St. Michael's Permaculture Country Club in um, Central Pacific, Costa Rica. We are doing our part two of our interview. And part one, we talked a lot about biodiversity, soil health, uh, living seed banks, and a whole lot of other great topics. So if you haven't heard that yet, make sure to check it out. And we're continuing the conversation because besides Justin's passion for planting and soil health and education. He's also been doing some really innovative work in the way of appropriate technologies, sustainable construction methods, using natural materials. And I'd like to dive a little bit deeper into that. We gave a little bit of background on Justin's history and how he came to own a place that he gets to call a country club, which I think is a fantastic story and reason. And there's a little bit more about your story that I wanted to jump into before we get into the appropriate technologies. And that was an accident that you had some years ago that seemed to have a very strong impact on how you've chosen to move forward. 
Can you share with us a little bit yeah, about I've, that? I've, I've had a lot of accidents in my life and a lot of injuries. And, you know, I've been, I've been shot. I've been run over by cars and I've had, uh, the bends from decompression. I used to work underwater dredging, uh, springs, but, uh, the last serious accident was a little over 10, no, 14 years ago, 2004. And, um, you know, it was serious. I got hit by a car on the interstate. I, I lost all my blood five times over. So every time they put more blood into me, I would just bleed it out. I spent three weeks in a, in a medically induced coma. I spent two years in a wheelchair living next to the hospital, wheeling in and out of operations. As soon as they could uh, get me healed up good enough for the next one, I had a problem with uh, my bone regeneration. I got hit by a car going so fast it uh, just blew up my, my pelvis, my femur, put my leg up next to my head, and all the bone marrow that's in between the, uh, the bone went through the soft tissue, the muscles, the ligaments, all the tendons, and calcified just kept on growing uncontrollably. So I had you know, kilos and kilos of extra bone growth just growing from my knee to above my hip all down my body. So I'd go through, you know, after the surgery to stabilize me and save my life and, you know, keep me from dying, I'd go through surgeries with radiation to chisel off all this extra bone and try and stop it from growing and chisel me into a, a normal looking person again. Wow. So yeah, that experience of, of crossing over the other side, I think, you know, my death has really been my greatest motivation as I realized, you know, I, everything can be gone in, in an instant. And, and then after this accident, I, I ended up losing my house, my job, my career. It was really tough. I couldn't leave the life I, I led before. So I had to, I was forced to choose an entire new way. And I had a lawyer that was in charge of all my affairs and he stole all my insurance money and all the insurance money of all his other disabled clients. And, you know, so I had to find a way to, you know, pay for my medications, not just for the medications needed in that moment, but to plan for the future. It's like, I need anti-inflammatories forever. So now I grow turmeric and other great anti-inflammatories. And, you know, I've taken my drug usage from over $200,000 per month to nothing, to zero. And, you know, by just having a plan and using, uh, you know, medicinal plants instead of pharmaceutical drugs. Justin, that's an incredible story. I mean, that's, it's one thing, like I, you know, I talk about, I, I was blessed to get sick at an early age, you know, I was 17, I started having constipation and by 21, I had ulcers and all this. And that launched me into having, well, first I had a doctor said, take this pill, take that pill, take the next pill. And it wasn't helping. It made me worse. And I was like, there's gotta be more to solutions than what these doctors have to offer. And that sent me on my health journey, those 20 some years ago. And you know, so it's one thing to have indigestion and have that launch one into believing in, you know, how eating good foods and so forth can be useful. But what you're describing is, is on a whole other level. I mean, this world is full of people that have been in debilitating accidents and had all kinds of things. And, you know, we talk about how attitude is everything and mindset and all of that. But for you to come back from that kind of accident and to be just the fountain of positivity and generosity and desire to share information and inspire people and to shine your light, even though I'm sure you're still in pain from time to time, but you're walking and that did not come. I mean, granted, I, of course, modern medicine saved your life. No question about it. And it didn't do it alone. No. It's a strong testament to the kind of person you've chosen to be. And I'm just really grateful Thank to you. meet you and that you made it through and you've used that tragedy to 
revolutionized the way you live and what you focus on and has built this place, which is not just like a nice place with some fruit trees and gardens. You've got a community here. You've got several people living here. You've got several houses. You're making space for more people. You know, there is some aspects of this place that's gorgeous and definitely worthy of the tag luxury. And then you've got a whole lot of this space that's just kind of grassroots style, like just put it in the ground and, and let it go. And it's just, uh, it's really beautiful what you've chosen to do with this next season of your life. And thank you for sharing that story. I'm glad to. Mm -hmm. Are you, do you still have an ongoing regiment of um, using medicinals to I, maintain? I do. And, and we, we try to treat everything that, you know, for ourselves, our children, our animals, all holistically. I mean, if, if you take care of yourself from the get-go, you really don't need the, to fix something later on. So our, our health is focused around prevention. You know, if you maintain a healthy diet, you don't have the problems that come with obesity. If you don't smoke a cigarette, you're not going to have that chance of getting lung cancer that a smoker is going to get. So having a, a plan and an idea of what should be done to stay healthy and trying to follow that path, you know, that's, that's led us to staying out of the hospital, from out of being sick. I mean, if we feel a little bit of a cold coming on or a little bit of a a sickness. I mean, there are plants we can take and foods we can take that we know are the antiviral foods, foods that are going to stimulate our immune system and make our body just push that problem out really quickly. If you have a little space, find out what, what can produce the most of what you need. If it's a medicine, just grow that one medicine there. And by growing it with your own compost and your own leftover food scraps, you're going to have a higher, higher quality product than if you just buy potting soil, which a lot of times that potting soil is from biosolids, which really means those biosolids are leftovers from our uh, waste management industry when we try and clean out the poop of water all the leftover solids from that poop just gets sold as a, uh, a potting soil and sometimes that potting soil is uh it's dangerous because of the chemical well, not the chemicals well it has chemicals too because when we filter out chemicals from the products that go into our, our gardens the antidepressants the drugs the stuff that these people add to their body those things don't always get taken out the filters don't filter out you know, cocaine from the water, amphetamines, or birth control, and these things go into our streams, and they go into our gardens, and our food system, and they, they cause problems. They don't, they don't help the system. And you're working here with various, like, gray water and black water filtration systems. Is what you're doing here in some way superior to, say, how the municipalities are handling their filtration? Well, it, it, it's best to treat your system and use the water again. It depends on the, the municipality, but a lot of systems are, uh, are made to sell you a service. If you live in a city, you have a, a sewer bill. You know, when, when you live in a regenerative agriculture community, your water actually produces, well, we make soap nuts, we make green manure out of it, we feed our pollinators with it, we don't pay anything for it, and it goes back into the... Uh, an area after it's been treated to make shade and to cool off the environment, it's actually something positive. So our waste, instead of paying for it to be treated and then being, you know, refed water that's chlorinated and, you know, not all that healthy coming back to our end and paying for it again, it just, it doesn't make sense economically. So we can take rainwater, spring water and use that. And then, you know, instead of wasting money on energy to go through and treat our, our black water, we can use mechanical methods as like, you know, traps and biodigesters that don't use energy and then filtering plants to, to filter our waste on site without having to build this infrastructure of tubes going across the entire, entire network of the city. Well, describe to us a little bit uh, about your 
filtration systems for either gray water or black water? Yeah, well, they're pretty simple. There's a lot of plants that are really good filters, and probably one of my favorites is the Lana plant. It's a, it's an, a wetland plant that has really beautiful, colorful flowers. And Lana? Lana, yeah. There's, there's some on the, the back behind the, the kitchen sinks. And okay. Yeah, it's a, it's a gorgeous plant. And just the plants by themselves, if you use just uh, hemp, if you have an area that's been uh, destroyed by radiation, hemp can actually take up the radiation and, and clean the land by taking up those particles. And some plants, they just store it in them, and you you know, you know can re, uh, reuse it somewhere else. It's not going to be used for food. And with the cases of things like pathogens, a lot of plants, you know, they'll, they'll take water that's completely filthy, and they'll, they'll filter out the, uh, the pathogens. And the plants we use also have a mycelium around the roots, and a bokashi filled mycelium around them in the garden, so that mycelium in itself, you know, even if you go to our corral where it's filled with just poop and pee, it smells perfectly clean and fresh because these these good bacteria and viruses actually go in and attack the, the bad bacteria and virus. They kill it. They digest it down to something that's usable for energy for, for the plants and make a really nice probiotic layer of nutritious soil for our our food, our uh, our whole land, you know. So even if even if part of our property isn't just for, for growing food, the fact that it has an ecosystem that's living in it and healthy actually protects us because if something that's that's nasty comes in that land and it's a bad virus and there's a good virus there, the good virus is already in number and it can uh, it can fight it with uh, with the advantage of having the foothold and the numbers to dominate the bad viruses and bacteria. Yeah, there's a term uh, used called bioremediation. And I know that there are a number of plants that have a way of actually breaking down molecular compounds into new molecular compounds, splitting those molecules into more inert byproducts. One of the most fascinating ones that I'm enthralled with is the idea that oyster mushrooms can eat oil and fungus can also break down heavy metals out of the soil and out mm -hmm. of contaminated areas. It's amazing what plants and, and fungus can do. Yeah, and, and mussels, yeah, mussels and oysters are a great example. You can take dirty contaminated water, just a, a fish tank, fill it with dirty contaminated water and put some mussels and some uh, oysters in there. Those, uh, those things will clean out the water really fast and it'll be crystal clear. And yeah, it's just there. The ecosystem needs things that are living in there to to keep it in balance. If we just go through and just try and chlorinate everything and kill off everything, it just, it leaves a blank canvas for whatever, ever pathogen or, you know, thing we don't want growing to grow. If we have stuff that we already want growing there, it's like having a garden. If it's already filled with what you want growing there, there's a lot less opportunity for weeds to come in. So we try to have our soil a full healthy ecosystem from the get-go. So if something that's going to be negative for the ecosystem comes in, well, the ecosystem is so positively charged with what we want to be living and growing, it fights off the, uh, the bad things that come in. So in your gray water and black water systems here in this uh, region and climate, what are some of the plants? What's a list of some of the plants that you use for that bioremediation? You know, for the most part, it's, it's almost all land. It's just such a, okay. it's such a pretty plant. It grows so well. It, it's, uh, it lasts a long time. I say that's, that's the, uh, the number one one. If I had another plant that I was going to use, um, it would be hemp. But, yeah, I'm not really sure of the legal status. Things change here so fast. Hemp is such a, a really good plant to grow because if I'm using water from my gray water, black water system, and I want to sell it, I don't want to be selling like, oh, this, this food was grown with, with water from a human's toilet. But if I sell hemp, nobody cares that their hemp was grown with water that's been previously black water filtered through, and it's now a, a paper product or a clothing product. So, 
Mm-hmm. If I had my choice, hemp would be probably one of my, one of my favorites. I think because it can produce something that could yeah. help sustain you financially here at the at the family. And if the hemp still has traces, like if you used radiation, it still has traces of radiation, there's still a lot of things you can do to encase it, maybe in, in building materials and, you know. Mm-hmm. And with uh, your filtration systems, you mentioned something that you don't just use plants to filter your gray water, black water, you use bottles as well. How yeah, does we have a work? new system where the first chamber is a trap that gets the grease and you know heavy items out of it. Then it goes through a, a biofilter. It kind of sits with our microorganisms. The microorganisms break it down. And the last filter is kind of where it blends in and it's got the, uh, it's like a leach field, but we use bottles. We put biochar in the bottles. So it always has like a battery pack of effective microorganisms ready to go. The bottles kind of keep the, the uh, mycelium and the microorganisms alive. And yeah, no, that's, that's great. You've got, you know, I've been involved in the topic of impact centers and permaculture for over 20 years. I've seen a lot of stuff and heard a lot of stories and experimented plenty with myself, but you just keep thrilling me as to how many of these things you've actually been putting into practice. That's our goal is to be a model to show like you can, you can grow all of your own food, all of your own medicine, live sustainably, you know, live somewhere instead of being a drag on nature, actually improve the quality of the nature and the ecosystem around you, improve the quality of the insects, the animals, and everything around you, and especially the water running off from, from your property and leaving, leaving your, uh, your homestead. So in the, in the topic of you know, low input, low cost, you have a real focus on this like zero, net zero energy systems, energy efficiency. What other systems do you have set in here that are really focused on that kind of approach? Well, for the energy, the, the biggest, biggest way to cut back on energy is, is, uh, is the cooling of the houses here. That's, that's probably the, one of the biggest, biggest draws on most people that live in a hot climate is they have an air conditioning bill and people live in a cold climate have the heating bill and people live in places that get hot and cold have both of them. And yeah, we're fortunate enough to hear that to never need the, uh, the energy used for heating a house and for cooling a house. There's, there's plenty of natural things that we can use to, to cool off the house. I don't know if you want me to go through those like the last, I, yeah, yeah, bring it. I mean, hey, bring it. Yeah, the, the listeners want to know. Yeah, we like to build the houses into the ground where it's already naturally cool, living roofs that insulate the house, they shade it. On the east and the west of the house, we plant heavy uh, heavy foliage and trees that shade the house from the sun going up and down. So the, the difference of just having something in the shade in the tropics and something in the sun is uh, 15 to 20 degrees. It's just that shade is enough. Then you add in the evaporative cooling from the plants on our roofs and the ivy we grow in front of the house that there are another filtration system. So when your shower and sink water goes to the ivy, if you have a, a earth ship, the earth ships have ivy on them and that ivy will take the, uh, the water from a, uh, a liquid to a gas, it'll change it. And that chemical reaction causes a drop in the temperature. Anytime you go from a, you know, a high pressure system to a low pressure, the temperature drops as a chemical reaction that that's, it's free air conditioning and it helps create our microclimate of being cooler that and surrounding the places with water and, Great. Are you working at all with any like, like electricity generating systems? No, we're uh, we're close to the uh, the hydroelectric plant here, so all of our electricity is all hydroelectrically generated. And you know, I really like being off the grid, but I really hate having having the batteries that go with it. So, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of our our focus energy revolves on trying to like what do we what do we not need to have for energy? Do we really need to have a TV or air conditioning? And yeah, for us, we're we've been better off. We still have you know, the internet, but you know, the stuff that's on the TV is just, you know, really doesn't seem to be worth it and doesn't seem to be, doesn't be helping out. We have a lot of kids. So the kids seem to be way better off without having a 
a lot of advertising shot at them every single day, telling what they need to buy and what they need to do instead of them growing on their own and learning, you know, what they really want and what they really need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating. So with, with the kids, do you, uh, do you get the kids involved very much and what's going on? Ah, the kids the- there, they, they live here. They live the life. They love it. You know, when grandma comes to out a visit, she comes by on a horse, you know, they, they spend their time, you know, picking fruits and they love playing with the, the stuff here. We have stuff for kids. I mean, there's, there's ferns that, you know, you can, you can slap on your wrist and it gives you a nice fern tattoo. Um, we grow a chota here, which is the, uh, the body paint for the natives. So they'll go out and they'll come back all dressed up like Indians. <laughs> and, you know, they have their favorite foods when they know where they're at. Like if they want a snack, they'll go out and grab uh, mulberries and, you know, sure. they'll grab fresh fruit and, you know, yeah. they're definitely involved, but it's not really, it's just, it's all they know. They've grown up here and they've lived it. And mm-hmm. Yeah. My son Cedar, his favorite plant to introduce people to is donkey weed. It's like a, a purple colored clover that grows wild everywhere. And it's got a tart flavor. And it's one of those things that most people look at it and like, Oh, I don't know. It's everywhere. It's a weed. And he, I would say that he knows more about the plants on the farm than probably anyone except for maybe our groundskeeper who is just a genius but cedar has tasted everything on the farm he knows what he likes and doesn't like and he he just loves picking up the the little herbs that he loves and gifting them to people to to yeah. sample our kids will bring everybody flowers and like no 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 eat them don't smell them you don't hold them just eat them they're delicious <laughs> <laughs> they know yeah, they, they do definitely and, know. and where the sugar cane is at too you know if they get a sweet tooth they'll, they'll get some sugar cane they'll find some miracle berries just to just to play a joke on somebody like yeah try this fruit and they won't tell them what it is and they're like they'll give them other food and you're like everything tastes different you know after, after you have a miracle fruit there is no more sour or bitter taste so people are drinking things and eating things that don't and they can't figure out why and the kids are just laughing in the corner like what did you do to me yeah oh, that last fruit i gave you it's it's miracle fruit it's hilarious. Yeah, it's a, it's quite a uh, sensation experience to eat a lemon or a pineapple and have no sour or tart. Yeah, it's, yeah. And it's good. I mean, for people to cut out something that diet as, you know, processed foods are like the first thing you should go, go cut out and process sugars. Top yeah, we eat way too much. And that miracle yeah. fruit, you don't need sugar. Everything tastes sweet. And if you look in the history of like, why don't we have this? It's the FDA. The FDA, you know, they, they're to blame. We, we could all have people that are healthy, a lot less diabetics, a lot less cancer, but no, no, we have, we have a big sugar industry that, that pushes their product. Yeah, we're left with a lot of interesting decisions from the hires up. In the way of innovation, too, you use a lot of natural materials for your building construction. Even this roof that we're in right now, there's these gorgeous uh, trunks that are holding up the roof. The whole roof is made with these... Uh, nice tall teak, round yeah this is round wood teak. from okay. from our neighbors and the uh, the posts on the corner of the uh the building the support posts these are all madero negro and they weren't never, we didn't have to cut them down these are these are trees are just laying in the in the forest and um you know yeah these madero negro are hard like stone They're, this structure is going to be here as long as any steel structure would be yeah and, and using the round wood we don't use round wood because it's a little harder with the construction because it doesn't really match up evenly it's not so consistent people want cookie cutter homes but the round wood our round wood is stronger than a piece of wood that we cut a, yeah. a square out of and it's less work and you can get round wood a lot easier you know harvesting yourself if you're growing your own products and building out of it than than trying to mill it down it saves a lot of a lot of energy and it looks beautiful it kind of Oh, gorgeous. It kind of fits in right with the, the trees around it. Yeah. So what other natural uh, materials do you t- 
tend to choose to, to build things around here? Um, well, we do, for natural materials, our, our next big project is going to be bamboo. We've got a, a lot of different bamboos coming in, black bamboos, different colors, Buddha bellies, different shapes. So we're going to do a lot of like really beautiful construction, biophilic designs that really emulate nature and just really bring you into nature, make you, you know, just feel, I don't know, hopefully in awe that you are in nature, you know, in an environment that's protecting you, surrounded by more nature. And I think having that, that design where you're, you can feel you're in nature, it's, it's, that's where you want to end up. And for natural, natural materials, there's so many good ones around. Um, a lot of it depends on your climate. Like super adobe is really good, but if you're in a really wet area, you have to kind of do a little extra to, uh, to protect it. You know, rammed earth is good in some places for building, but I think for the tropics, I think, I think my future is going to be filled with a lot of bamboo. I mean, it's lightweight, it's beautiful, it's easy to work with. I've, you know, I've taken a couple classes to work with. I've got friends that work with it, and I don't. I I love bamboo. I think it's that's going to be our, our our number one building material in the future, at least for for things that are out of the rain and out of the sun, because it really it really needs a special treatment. If you treat it well, it lasts a long time. But if you don't treat it right, it can wear down quick. But it grows so quickly. It's definitely definitely a sustainable building material. Sure. And the word sustainable is interesting. There's, I know for us, we, you know, we focused a lot on natural building and maybe we went a little too natural. For instance, we weren't varnishing many of our structures and here I am a decade later and we're replacing a lot of wood and posts and, you know, things have this, uh, this kind of stain on them from the fungus and so forth that comes from untreated wood. So there's, I definitely have come to acknowledge and appreciate that just natural building has its place and yet it doesn't always end up being sustainable if well, you're it's tough because it's there are some things like the Madero Negro we were talking about like that wood you don't need to put it in plastic or in concrete you can put the, the Madero Negro right in the ground and it's not going to have the rotting issues or the fungus issues or anything. just take off the the bark on a lot of these plants because the, the core in the middle is really strong, but the outside is, is where the, the bugs get into and start eating. So if you get rid of the outside and have a wood like a Monero Negro that you know is going to be strong, it's, it's, it might not last forever, but you might get 40, 50, 60, 100 years out of some of this Monero Negro. And, you know, the pine, you know, the first time I had something made here, the, the carpenter used pine because it was the cheapest. And it, <laughs> it just, you can't use pine, even with a varnish, you know, you can add those extra volatile chemicals on top of pine and it won't be as good as if you use, you know, Madeira Negro from the start. Selection is everything. Yeah. yeah. And so going beyond natural building, sustainable building is kind of where our focus had shifted to. And we started experimenting with non-natural materials to build with that were going to either because they were recycled and so we kept them from the landfill and maybe save money on them although oftentimes when you do that you spend more time trying to fix up those recycled things and make them useful that sometimes you just wish you would have bought something new but uh so sometimes even that doesn't turn out to be technically sustainable on all levels but you know these are we're experimenting but yeah sometimes it does work like we have a house that's 95 percent trash and it was a little extra work and you know did a lot of extra planning but i think when it comes to sustainability like i don't the definition i think sustainability is is, is you know if you if you want to look at what is sustainable the most sustainable product is a product you don't have to buy so your trash building with stuff that's thrown away or you know not considered, you know, valuable by another person. That is, that's true sustainability. And we found these, these mills around here that throw away just a little curved piece of teak, which is a really good wood, but it's, 
it's just a a rounded edge from the tree. The rounded cutoff. Yeah. That they so make we'll that take the bark off that. To, yeah. Yeah. And you can't make much out of it because it's only got one flat side. So we'll put the two flat sides together, and we'll make. You know, we'll we'll take these pieces together and we'll piece them back together, and then that makes a really strong bug resistant because teak is resistant to the bugs, resistant to the water. You know, by using these things that are thrown away, we find a lot more sustainability in, in that. But like you said, it's it's more work because each one of these pieces of, of wood, we have to go and take a machete and cut up all the bark and mm -hmm. you have to it treat down. it. And we, you know, we have to dig a big hole and fill it with a piece of plastic, which we don't like using plastic, but then we fill with water and boric acid and, and really just give it a really good natural treatment that'll keep the bugs away and not be toxic to humans. Brilliant. Are there any non-natural materials that you've come to really appreciate the usefulness of? Um, you know, ones that are thrown away. You know, the house has 95 cent material that was, that was recycled. There's, there's a metal roof on it, which is really the easiest roof to put on there. And it works great for water collection, rainwater collection. But, you know, it's, I like it because it was free. If, if I had to uh, pick my material for a, stain, a sustainable roof, it'd be uh, vetiver grass for, for the tropics. We grow vetiver grass mainly for erosion control. It's also an excellent essential oil used in perfumes and medicine. But the grass is really strong and thick, and we can make a thatched roof out of that that would uh, really be sustainable. So maybe in the future, we'll start doing uh, vetiver roofs. But in the meantime, you know, around us, there's, there's enough construction. We can go and pick up these little pieces of roof, and you know, we can put them together and overlap them where it's waterproof and looks pretty, and it's free. So. Mm -hmm. And one thing that you've got, you said you've got three houses here that are built with shipping containers? Uh, no, there's no. A three, three earth ships here. Three earth ships. Three earth ships. And, but you've got how many structures that are built with the shipping there's containers? One, 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 one. one large structure with shipping containers. It's a pretty okay. big house, two stories on the top of the mountain, really gorgeous house. You know, the owners really decked it out from top to bottom with, you know, everything to make it look, look beautiful and, you know, has uh has gardens with lots of our uh, lots of our food and medicinal plants mm -hmm. and you said that there's some pros and cons to that you want to share your thoughts yeah there's on that? definitely pros and cons i mean the the big upside is you're you're reusing something that is waste but the downside is when people finish their shipping containers they don't throw away the shipping container until after something goes wrong it's too old it's starting to starting to become at the end of its life cycle so when you get the shipping containers you have to be really careful that you get a shipping containers in really good you know usable state that's going to last for a yeah, at least 20 or 30 more years. You don't want a shipping container that's going to rust out in four or five years. So, you know, getting that material. And then the shipping containers, they give you a little bit of a, you know, you're restricted in your architectural design. You know, if you the want... rectangular prisms. Yeah, yeah. if you want a, a, a wide a wide bedroom and your shipping container is only eight feet wide, that's the only, that you're only going to get that, that uh -huh. eight feet there. And so it's kind of limited with those things. And there's some, some benefits. You can get shipping containers that are insulated. And the insulation, well... That stuff's horrible to throw away to go to landfill. But, you know, if you're reusing that refrigerated insulated container for for your living quarters, it's already uh, insulated and the, the insulation will never break down. It'll be there for 10,000 years. So, yeah. No, that's great that you're experimenting with all of these things. It's uh, it's super. And this is the kind of information. These are things that, you know, a lot of our listeners have heard about. And some of them have experimented with some of these things. But it's really great to get all these little tips and so forth that you yeah, come across. Yeah, it, there's, there's people doing all kinds of projects all over the world, and it's it's so easy these days to find out. Like, if you want to have a, a project of a certain type of construction, there's almost always somebody on YouTube doing something like that that you can go to that's done it and say, look, you know, I want to do the same project, and there's places that you can go to, like, learn to build an earthship and 
Taos, New Mexico, and people teaching these classes in bamboo construction in, in uh, small permaculture farms across the country, and now in big universities. You, you can actually go to the University of National in Costa Rica, and uh, you know, they have bamboo uh, architectural courses to take, and you go there, and you learn about it, and you build it. And Brilliant. Yeah. So it's fun to talk about all the things that we've done that really worked out well. Go ahead and share something that, that maybe didn't work out so well that you learned a great lesson from. The first from. couple of years, the whole, the whole first couple of years was just, you know, I wasn't a, a gardener or a farmer. You know, this is all new to me. I came from, from the city life, from the suburbs as a kid. So, yeah, I'd come out and I'd be like, wow, I'd like this, I love this tree. I like that tree. I want these fruits. I'd just come out and I'd plant them and, you know, most of them died. You know, I, I didn't understand the, the hydrological cycles of, of when it's going to rain. I didn't understand the importance of building the soil so the plant was drought resistant. And then there's, you know, the fact that if you don't have a strong, strong, healthy soil, your plant's not going to be strong and healthy. And then the bugs and pests, you know, they'll attack it. Like, I, I think maybe like the, the papayas we're talking about with the wasps. We have plants that are really, really strong and healthy. The bugs don't attack them. The, the bugs go after the weakest plants, the ones that are, are not doing so well, because they can smell it's decay, and they go in and take over those a lot faster than take over a plant that is growing vigorously and, and strong. And, mm-hmm. you know, by, by learning how to, how to build our ecosystem in the soil, I've, uh, I've cut down our, our, our biggest crimes against plants by killing them all. And it was tough. It was, it was a lot of money and a lot of plants over those first couple of years, and it's just... It's heartbreaking to, to spend all your time and love and care for it. Then you have to go away for a while and there's a drought and there's the plant's dead the next time you come back. Or the ants. You know, we have ants oh. here that'll come through and you have this precious tree, you plant it, you water it, you take care of it. It's growing really well. You come back tomorrow, the ants have taken off every single leaf. Wow. Yeah. Gratefully that's one that we're we're not dealing with at our place, but I know it's a, it's a big issue a lot of places. Is there anything that you found to help guard those, uh, guard your gardens from those guys? I, I, don't, I don't really even try to fight the ants. You know, there, there's just, there's so many of them. I mean, they have a good place in the ecosystem. There's, there's different types of ants. Most ants will probably eat the leaves up or take them and actually take them back to their, uh, their nest. They don't eat them, they ferment them. They, they turn it into a good fungus, which they eat, which is actually, if you find an ant nest, that's one of my favorite things for actually adding to my soil is I find ants or termites. I'll take that and I'll add that to my bokashi because I know when they've pre-digested their, their leaves and they've turned it into their food, their food is also good for the, for the soil's food and for the plant's food. So, you know, I let the ants go. You know, they eat a lot of stuff. We plant some extra stuff for them. And sometimes it's a good thing the bugs eat your, uh, your vegetables and fruits. If you have certain vegetables and fruits and they're, they're eaten by the bugs, that stimulates the plants to actually grow those, those plants and fruits stronger and more of them. And, some medicinal plants, like before I pick my turmeric, you know, we love our plants, but if you abuse your plant, you start stepping on it, kick the leaves, start talking down to it before you, uh, before you harvest it, it actually, that abuse actually stimulates the, uh, the release of some of the, uh, the chemicals that are medicinal, the medicinal properties of the plant. So hmm. sometimes it's good not to be nice to your plants when you, uh, when you pick them. You want to, if you're a medicinal plant like turmeric and you want them to to produce as much of the, uh, the medicine as possible, a little bit of abuse will stimulate them into producing more. So, you know, not, not all damage and all, all things are bad for the garden. Like when we did the, this project, the biodome, uh, you know, we learned that, you know, we have a perfect ecosystem, what we think is a perfect ecosystem inside a, a dome where it doesn't have the outside environment. You know, it, it should be growing great, but really all the, all the trees started falling over, all the plants were weak because with, with no wind, there's, there's no strength being, being gained in these plants. If you don't, 
you don't have that pressure on the plants if you don't start start giving them a little little workout like for us too if you go to the gym and you work out and you you stress your muscles you start pushing them and you damage them they grow back stronger with the wind you know the environment works the same way if you treat your plants you know with with kid gloves and they're always just pristine and they're going to be fragile if you have a plant that that you cultivate and it's used to having to fight for its existence it'll keep keep producing a stronger line of genetics that'll be a plant that's a fighter and that environment where it has to fight to keep going well it'll make it stronger in the end wow you know this place uh is you've got you've got yourself some neighbors you've got an uh, interesting business model that i haven't quite figured out fully yet you've got to mention that you have uh two different ownership options at your community can you share a little bit more about how that works yeah there's um there's the outright ownership where you have you know the title it's uh fee simple you're the you're the king of the castle. You can do whatever you want. You own it. We plant all the land with the, the fruits and the medicine and the, the vegetables before people buy it. So it's already here and it's already an organic state. And um, we also have an eco-village. See, if somebody doesn't have a, a lot of money, they want a small piece of land and they don't, they don't have the ability to work. Maybe they're older or they don't have the time. They have a, a job they want to keep and they don't want to be out there in the fields working. The eco-village has a structure where the eco-village owns the entire property. It's titled to the eco-village, and each owner has a share that corresponds to their, their own homestead and their personal garden. But since it's like a corporation, they also have the ownership of all the uh, community gardens and pastures and hardwood reforestation and whatever else is on the, the land of the eco-village. And with the eco-village structure, it's a lot simpler. It's kind of like, it, well, it is a corporation. There's a president. The people who own the corporation elect somebody to be their president, and um, you know the president handles the duties. And, you know, we choose to hire one person or two people to maybe come through and weed the gardens and do some of the stuff that's, that's really labor-intensive, and somebody else might come along to be contracted to come along with a machete to, to chop off the bad weeds because we don't spray them for the bad weeds, and, you know, we share the, the cost of that, and then we also share in all the fruits and all the, all the, uh, the hardwoods and the, the medicine that comes off. It all gets split up equally as well. Great. So you've got, so that's the eco-villages, it's kind of got like a condominium or association type model yeah. to it where everyone's co-owning, everyone has some member dues, those it's dues pay for like the maintenance. It, but there's not really, a, not really any dues. Like our goal is not to really have a, those organizations always have dues. If you have a, a condo, that condo never has a goal to say, look, stop paying us dues one day. Our goal with the eco-village is eco-village, once you, once you have your share and the eco-village is going, that eco-village is going to sell the surplus. So instead of paying dues, you know, some of the eco-village will be like, oh, I'll sell the goods, they'll go to the market, they'll sell the goods, they'll get a, a job out of it, and then the rest of the eco-village will actually get the profit that comes from that. So your, your investment in the land should actually pay you back when it's, when it's all said and done with. I love it. Yeah, and yeah. Another, another way that I've seen a lot of eco-villages, most eco-villages I've looked into are in trusts, where if you look, anybody can kind of buy into the trust, but nobody really owns the, uh, the land personally. They're just kind of like paying rent and I think part of the sustainability is for people to be economically sustainable. If you have a piece of land and you know, well, if I improve this land, if I plant really valuable hardwoods here or really expensive, rare, exotic fruits to take care of it, that land is going to be worth a lot more money. So not only do they have the fruit coming off at the moment, they also have the, uh, the equity that's built into the property. So they like, well, you know, I'm going to pass away one day and I'd like to see my kids live here and they can pass it on the kids or they can pass, they can sell it and use that money to to do whatever with it kind of gives them a little more freedom by having a, a stable economic base mm -hmm. by owning, owning their property. Great. 
There's a lot there. And then the other option of just buying their lot outright, it's more that you have a portion of land that you've sectioned off that's going to be sold to future members, but they're not actively involved with. You can choose. Yeah, well, the community has the option. There's a uh, permaculture country club. So the country club you know, has a, the things for entertainment and disc golf and games and pools and nature trails and reserves, but it also has the ability to you know, they can take care of your, your gardens for you if you want. They can sell the food that comes off your garden when it comes in. And, um, you know, it's optional. So if you want to take care of your own, your own stuff, you, you can take care of your own stuff. If you want to have somebody else take care of it, it's, it's right next door. We have somebody producing the fertilizers, the pesticide, and all these things that are uh, non-synthetic for, uh, for your environment, for your food, for your medicine all around your house. So you can have somebody else do that for you instead of a country club where you just get just the membership dues and a, a chance to play games. Great. So moving forward, anybody who's excited to know more about your project, they can find you at your website. Yeah, the website's pretty mm -hmm. simple. Uh, www.stmichaelscr.com. So it's okay. stmichaelscr.com. All right. You anywhere case. else online? Yeah, Facebook. We're on the Facebook under St. Michael's Sustainable Community. The Permaculture Country Clubs are a CSA model. They'll be delivering the food, managing the, uh, the sustainability aspects of the community and the homesteads and the eco-village. So the sustainable community or the Permaculture Country Club are both Great. We'll make sure us. we get links in, in the show notes for all that. So uh, going forward, you have room for more member Yeah, we owners. do. We, we grow a really slow pace. Like our goal is really just, yeah, one... One family per year, one homestead. We don't we don't do much advertising, if any at all. And yeah, I kind of like the fact that people that are seeking out sustainability actually go out and look for sustainable projects, and they they find us. And you know, it seems like everything just falls into place whenever we need money to extend an aqueduct, or you know, where our art projects coming up next, we're building an art center and a place for a, a gymnasium. So yeah, whenever we need something, somebody's always like, oh yeah, I really want to become part of that. And, you know, all the money that comes into the community for the last 10 years has all gone right back into the community. There's been nobody taking salaries. There's been no money spent on anything else. And, you know, the fact that we don't have to have a, uh, a constantly expanding economy here, we're happy with just having, you know, an expanding food forest, like food production yields expanding, happiness expanding, our health expanding. You know, that's, that's our goal more than just trying to grow the money. But if you have land, it should be an asset, and it should be at least paying its own taxes, hopefully, and mm. producing stuff that you can use and eat and enjoy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Do you, uh, and you had a, an apprenticeship program, and you yep. anticipate opening that back up at some yeah, point? Yeah, we had a program where we do a, a regenerative agriculture internship where we take people from growing, growing everything from seed to harvesting, and they have to prepare the soil, prepare the gardens, clean it out, make their own fertilizers, make their pesticides. And, um, you know, it's just kind of like, it's a cycle. You know, the seasons are a cycle. The growth of the plants are a cycle. You know, everything has to, has to be cycled in. And our program kind of focused on, you know, teaching that cycle where you don't have to open it up to outside uh, inputs. So if, if you need something from the outside, you know, that takes away from our sustainability and our, 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 uh, our goals. So we try to make everything we can right here on site. And, you know, with animals, it makes it makes growing growing food a lot easier, and it makes the soil a lot richer. So, yeah, we've basically just copied what was done. Yeah, when when everything was regenerative agriculture, when people didn't go and buy chemical fertilizer, so it works. It's a little little more work, but it's a lot more enjoyable, and the, the food quality is a lot higher. And once you get it started, these perennials, we stock our uh, 
our gardens and our landscaping with these these fruit trees. You plant it once and you have fruit for 40 years. So it's a little work up front, but a, uh, a lifetime of rewards. So I imagine uh, anyone interested in that kind of program can go to your website. Put yeah, in, just you've got send a place us a link. To send you an email address or something to be in touch. Yeah, they can get us hold us anywhere. Facebook on the line. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, okay. contact contact links on everything. So just send us a message, and yeah, we'll be opening it up soon. And you know, take a couple in there. And I like having a program different than the the permaculture uh, the permaculture uh, design course. I mean, there's a lot of permaculture design courses out there, and you know, they're great, but you know, they were all here before me, and I don't want to be taken into their market. I kind of want to have something that's a little bit different. And, you know, our uh, permaculture is a lot, lot more blended than the, the permaculture. We use everything that's in permaculture, but we also add in a lot of regenerative agriculture to animals that aren't touched on as much in there, and a lot more soil building that was in the, the original permaculture design manual. I mean, permaculture is, you know, it's, it's an excellent, you know, way of life and way to grow food. And, you know, we feel like that's our base, and we just add to it with a lot of other things. And, our system's a little more like like Bruce Lee style. He'd take the best from every little system he could find and, and put them all together and try to come up with his own little system. And yeah. that's our goal. Yeah. Well, it sounds to me, feel, from my understanding of permaculture, that is permaculture. I think with the permaculture design courses that are very popular, uh, one of the most popular aspects is squeezing all that information into a 10-day or 14-day yeah, course. Yeah, that's, that's, that's good. And also, your the tendency with those courses is that they're teaching tactics from a multitude of climates. So every topic you talk about in the course, you're splitting it up into two, three, four, five different microclimates. And for... And that's kind of a requirement. That's the standard to do a course. And of course, there's advanced courses and teacher training and all of that. But what you're doing uh, in the to certified someone in permaculture, you've you're required to hit on all those topics and give the broad overview of everything. But what you're doing is you're not necessarily just sticking to that uh, program, that protocol of lesson planning you're just working with we still use their lessons plans but we extend the time so you know we don't have to do it all in two weeks we have a year is 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 what we consider like kind of like our basic program would be a year you know that would get you through you know the dry season the wet season the the different positions of the sun you know you have a you know you have a lot more opportunities for different moon cycles to work in your your your, you know biodynamic part of the uh the regenerative agriculture. We take a lot of our stuff as well from uh, from biodynamics and you know the moon cycles and planting our seeds under the new moon and taking our our bamboo and the, the timbers and the above ground crops and the, the luna maguante when the, the moon's full and put up the stuff and when it's the opposite of that the the water and the nutrients are down the ground then we'll get you know the the ground stuff potatoes yucca stuff that's underground and you know it's a we try to cover everything that you can cover, and it's even for one year. It's still kind of t- it's tough to squeeze it in there, but with one year, we kind of get a touch on everything as far as teaching it and experiencing it, and you know, building those systems. Wow, Justin, you have been a fascinating person to have on the show, and yeah, I'm looking forward to our video tour coming up and getting to know you more as the years come on. Thanks so much for sharing My your pleasure. experience I'm glad you and enthusiasm. Out. There you have it. What a journey. We went from bioremediation with fungi, lana, hemp, and plastic bottles, to natural cooling with living rooftops and vines, to raising kids on the farm, and ownership models. 
We covered a lot of ground with Justin. The topic of finding the balance between natural building and sustainable construction methods has long been an interest of mine, and it was great to see so many examples at Justin's place. I'm really excited to put our own first harvest of bamboo to some good use. We planted our clumps some six and eight years ago. We finally have enough to play with. I agree with Justin in that planting a few different species of bamboo on one's property is one of the most valuable things a project can consider doing, and as early as possible. If you like what Justin has to say, be sure to reach out to him and let him know. He's got apprenticeship programs available. I believe there's still some lots available in his developing community and neighborhood. We've gone ahead and prepared a video for you on the YouTube channel where Justin describes to us a bit his living roof and vines that he uses to cool the houses on the property. We did have a mic failure that day and the rain comes through pretty strong, but we've prepared some subtitles for you so you won't miss out on what he's describing. Finally, I want to wrap it up with a huge thank you to the couple handful of people out there who've already left a review on Apple or other podcast channels. It really is the best way for others to find us and to keep the show going. So if you like what you're hearing, tell a friend, leave a review, share a post on socials. This show is all about bringing together a community of communities. So do your part to help us spread the word. That's all for this week. Mm-hmm.